Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And today we are going to be, we're going to be blessing Denis Villeneuve and his water. We're going to be blessing the coming and going of him. We, uh, look, we couldn't really find a way to work a five into it, but it's, uh, there's been a major geek event and we've given it some room to get you a chance to experience it. Think it's been long enough. We are here to talk about Dune. Uh, Denis Villeneuve's new one debuted on September 3rd, finally, after all the pandemic nonsense going back and forth. Um, and also sort of the franchise in general, because it's weird that we haven't touched on it before. Look, Dune is complicated, and you'll hear some about it on here, but there's just too much to, to fit into one regular podcast. So we brought in a little assistance from Offworld to help us out. Yes, uh, joining myself, Grammy Halak, and uh, the Benny Jesse Ritt <laughs> will be Stella, the marketing manager of Storm Crow Manor, an excellent geek bar in Toronto. Hi, Stella. Hi, how you doing? I couldn't come up with a, a, a Dune name for you in time. Thanks a lot. Sorry. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> and let's be fair, also Stella, one of the founding members of Geek Top 5. So yes. uh, you we're, can call we're... me Stella Hulud. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> you should name a cocktail that. <laughs> I am the worm. <laughs> In any case, um, spoiler alert, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to be talking a lot about the new movie. We're probably going to be talking about the book and about some of the other projects that have come out. Um, I can tell you this before we get going. I like I went to go see Dune twice in theaters and I paid for IMAX the second time. I really liked it. If you haven't seen it, it's totally worth going to see. I don't think there's any crazy plot details that if you want to listen to this, it's going to blow the movie for you because it's sort of in the zeitgeist by now. But spoiler alert, you have been warned. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, I, for the record, I saw it once in theaters and uh, I just watched the David Lynch version last night. Jesse, you've read a lot of the books or all of the books. Not all, but I've I've read. I'm on the tenth one, so oh my god! The, <laughs> I, I have read more than I have to. We can maybe get into that too. But like the, you know, after Frank Herbert passes away and they sort of pass the torch, like even before Frank Herbert passed away, it started to get a little weird. Now that other people are writing it, it's super weird. Maybe that's another thing for spoiler alert. But I'll tell you right now, you're you're probably good with three books, maybe four if you're adventurous. Hmm. I've only read one and I was very happy with it, but now I'm kind of afraid to keep going. I, I feel like I don't want to spoil, you know, my love of that first book by reading anymore. The The first one is the best by far, um, mm -hmm. just to establish. I think so. Graham, you haven't read any of them and Stella's just read the first one. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. But you can spoil away. I, I don't mind. I'm, I it's one of those books that I always mean to read and then I pick it up and I see how small the font is and how long it is and I have a deep sigh and I'm like next time next time I mean you've only had 35 years to read it at this point uh yeah <laughs> I mean I don't think I was going to be reading it in those first uh seven or eight years at least but you know I hear what you're saying you could have tried 
they, they when we were kids there weren't like baby's first dune now i bet <laughs> something like that exists oh, for definitely. sure yeah golden book definitely. right definitely yeah <laughs> <laughs> so in case you were born, you know, in a cave on Arrakis with your eyes closed and your fingers in your ears, uh, Dune 1965, a science fiction novel by Frank Herbert, essentially, like, it's the, like, the essential science fiction novel. It's, I, I'm hesitant to say the best sci-fi novel of all time, but probably the most successful, probably the most iconic. Um, it is... It's a it well it it's Dune. I want to tell you what what it's about, but it just it takes place on a desert planet. Crazy sci fi stuff happens. Um, legendarily difficult to adapt. The David Lynch tried to make one in 1984, and it was a disaster. It has a cult <laughs> like it's a cult classic now, but uh, there's a lot. Is it like it's it, it's not even a question of adapting it from the novel. It's it's rough. It is a rough watch. Later on in, I think precisely in 2000? Yeah, later on in 2000, Sci-Fi Channel released a miniseries and then a follow-up to it in 2003, which is pretty good. And that was pretty much considered the like the quintessential viewing experience. That was, that was William Hurt in Frank Herbert's Dune. And you'd still find that here and there. But it's been a while. Oh, and I guess Jodorowsky's Dune. We might have to touch on that too. But that's a better documentary than it is a real-life thing. Because it isn't a real life thing. They yeah. never got around to making it. <laughs> yeah. And then finally we have Dune. And uh, this may be the first time that they managed to take a really good classic sci-fi novel and turn it into a really good movie. So maybe let's start there. Um, what did you, it's like, what did you all think? How did you like it? I loved it. I saw, I've seen it twice so far and I wouldn't mind seeing it in IMAX because I somehow missed that run. Um, but Graham said that it's coming back. Um, I just watched it again last night and it's so beautiful. It's, it's a breathtaking movie and it's very exciting for something that I am always surprised that it's just rated PG. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really beautiful. There was a lot of, of amazing design work and like, and the, the ships looked really cool. There's a lot of, uh, cool concepts and it's well made but it was i found it uh, a little dry so to speak uh, i feel like you're really missing something by not having read the book like it's obviously not necessary but it adds so many nice layers and things that you have to look forward to as you watch it where you're like aha this is like how this is going to come about um but i i think i think you're missing out a little bit graham well, look, I obviously I'm in the maybe not the minority, but I'm I'm it's it's hard to make a blockbuster in the pandemic. There have been mm-hmm. movies that have come and gone that you'd think would be gigantic hits and haven't quite landed. Uh, like the new Ghostbusters movie isn't doing great so far, but somehow, some way this dense sci-fi novel adaptation, dark and creepy sci-fi novel adaptation has been a blockbuster success. So uh, don't trust my judgment on it trust the numbers trust the the people who know and i'm sure most of the people going haven't haven't read the book i was listening to a hockey podcast earlier of all things and the people on that were talking about how much they love this movie and one of the hosts had seen it four times and and had never read the novel so it's not just a novel lover's experience i think it is a good movie um i just it didn't quite connect with me and i think part of the problem is uh, and again 
we're going into super uh, spoiler territory here, but there's a moment about the midway point when a lot of the characters that you've come to know and love in the early going are killed off one by one. And I, I was sort of with the characters we were left with, I was kind of like, well, I don't really care that much about these ones. And, and it just, I felt a little hollow at that point. I think that was the biggest problem for me. But if you had read the novel, you'd know that not all of those characters are actually dead. So maybe you would have felt a little less hollow about it. And you would have been more like, I look forward to them coming back later on. Well, see, I think there's merit to both sides of that. And like, this is something that like, I'm going to say this, like, I mean, I'm a big Dune guy, like, especially the first book. That's like a couple, like, I read that a couple of times a year for most of my life. Um, so like I was super invested into this movie and I'm, and I'm the guy that has all those nitpicks like that didn't happen that way in the novel for sure. Yeah. But <laughs> I do think that this was a great adaptation, but it suffers from being part one. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of those things that have like sort of like, like, like Graham, you're saying it was a little dry. It was a little, it's, yeah, because a lot of this movie is establishing stuff. Uh, a lot of this movie is setting things up. Like I think it's great how they do it. But the, 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 what you take out of this movie is like, is a lot of, it's like you read a prologue. It's like this foreshadowing. It's the next part that you're interested in. Um, I imagine that this movie would probably seem a lot better if you could immediately take the, well, what, the the disc out of your tray. Like we still use DVDs. (laughs) If you could like (laughs) scroll over to streaming and go to straight to go to part two, click on that. Click on the skip credits and start part two button. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I do think it suffers a little for that. And I don't know if that's like its fault, like get, like given the decision they made to break the book up and just do it as a part one. I think they did great, but I yeah. totally get it. These aren't the most interesting parts of the Dune story for sure. But the amazing thing is that it is a very long movie. Um but it doesn't, it didn't feel like that to me anyway. And even though no, it's sure. only covering like half the book, it does it at such a good pace where I feel like if they hadn't split it up, it would have been bananas. Oh, like, it would have been unwatchable. Yeah. Fast forward kind of plot line. I think the, the, pro, the purest, uh, uh, I just lost the word, but like the thing that, that validates that opinion to me is I watched the first movie and I did find it a little long, but generally I was enjoyable and I, it was, I was not distracted. I was into it all the way through. Uh, I watched last night, the David Lynch version, which is shorter and it felt about eight hours longer. Yeah. (laughs) The David Lynch one barely qualifies as a complete product and to his credit lynch has completely disowned that one he's like Mm. he was like he didn't get to make the movie he wanted he was under all this studio pressure like that that is a disaster in every sense but yeah that one is so painful to watch whereas (laughs) this one you're right chronologically longer but i'm invested Mm -hmm. in it It, Mm -hmm. it's paced wonderfully like you you you're you're never just upset with how long it is, which happens to me in a lot of movies. It happened to me in No Time to Die. Oh where yeah, it was just it's like like, like that's it's James Bond. But it was too much. It was too long. I just needed it to wrap up already. Not here. Yeah, I think this adaptation had a lot going for it, um, and I think the cast really helped. Um, I, mean, I, ha- I haven't actually seen David Lynch's, but uh, they're they're Paul. Yeah. 
seems a little old for that first role. Well, hey, I mean, you haven't seen the David Lynch one. I mean, if you ever wanted to see Sting in some Ride of the Valkyries underwear. Oh, I've seen. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you've, you've Googled the important part. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's so funny because I only just read the first Dune for the first time very recently. Um, I had somehow just avoided it for so long thinking that it was super dry just like not up my alley even though like I am a big reader but it was funny while I was reading it how many parts and references and things I was super aware of without having known ever where they came from and so there's even parts of the David Lynch movie which I've never seen that I was super aware of just as part of the pop culture including staying in his little panties and um, that I'm only <laughs> just now like making these connections to just going back to the the movie and our thoughts on it, my favorite parts in it were all to do with the villains, the the Harkonnens. They were so gross and so creepy and and delightfully over the top. They made to me it made the the rest of the characters seem boring in comparison because these guys, uh, Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron and um, Dave Dismalchin as his advisor and and Dave Bautista as the Muscle all just look gross and weird and the Baron does horrible disgusting things and they have this weird spider monster as a pet <laughs> just like top notch gross weirdness and the the Atreides just seemed so normcore and boring in comparison it's so handsome such a handsome family very handsome undeniably handsome <laughs> a lot of handsome people there but I, yeah. I, I don't know it's it's more than that it's so much i mean and this is a Denis Villeneuve thing so much goes into the visual design mm-hmm. like you it, early on in the movie they like okay this is the Harkonnen planet this is the Atreides planet and those subtitles don't come up again but you yeah. know instantly where you are and what you're looking oh, yeah. at like that that shot you're talking about, Graham, with the spider dog thing, that shot starts on the spider dog, like and people's feet. But you know, instantly we're looking at Giddy Prime and the Harkins. Yeah. Like, yeah. They have a very good visual signature. Like you you know it's uh their grossness on display. <laughs> and that also works with the distinction between Caladan and Arrakis. Like so much effort, like it's like like it seems obvious, like oh yeah, one planet has water and one doesn't, but it's everything just looks so much harsher, so much like so much different when they first get into the desert. And I'm not usually the guy to shill like this, but (laughs) the second time I went to see it and I saw it in IMAX, that effect is like quadrupled. Hmm. This this really is a big screen movie. The, mm-hmm. the bigger the, the better the cinematography and the scale of it just these wide open shots of the desert it's like it's it made a huge difference in some ways we took it even one step beyond the first yes. time we saw it we <laughs> saw an ultra avx which is the canadian cineplex low rent version of imax but we used the D box seats which oh, vibrate yes. and shake and move with what's going on on screen and we did it for the gimmick of it, but it ended up being kind of cool. And, and uh, you know, if it didn't quite fit with Dune, cause it's a movie that takes itself very seriously, but man, it would be a blast in like a fast and the furious. But that being said with this, it was still a fun experience and made it a more cinematic, like a special thing to do. And it, it was, it added to the experience for sure. 
yeah, it, it throws you around like nobody's business. And <laughs> there weren't a lot of scenes where that really worked, but the ones where it did, it was it was a beautiful thing. <laughs> I can't say I well maybe. I don't I don't know. I'm on the fence. <laughs> Hard to say. I mean I feel like I might do that for a Star Wars, like for a trench run, but like I'm wondering what do they do with the D box seats when he's like, you know, sitting at the table talking to his mom. Nothing. When he uses, nothing. When he uses the voice, that's when you feel it. Yeah. yeah. Ah, that's cool. So but also when just, he's flying like the ornithopter into like the storm, you know, shaking and being thrown from side to side. It's yeah, like when cool. the when the ships take off, the seat leans back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's yeah. cool. It sounds stupid, and it is, and you feel kind of embarrassed, especially at first because it was my first time. And looking around at the other people, I was like, "Don't look at me!" As I was being thrown around in my seat, but you, you get really into it. So let me uh, let me take it back to the voice for a second. This is like I'm really glad we have these different experiences, like different experience levels mm-hmm. with Dune, so we can talk about this. One of the things with Dune is that the novel does not help you with the world's unique terminology. Yeah. The first chapter of Dune, it's Bene Gesserit this and Gamjabar that and voice and all this like edit. I like it's not considered a flaw, it's considered part of the art, but like that's a book that you read a second time to really understand what's going on. So I was curious, like, Graham, I knew going into this that you'd never read the book. I was curious, like, how comfortable it was for you to sort of smooth into this world, to sort of pick up on how everything's going on. Um, I think it does a really good job of of doing exposition in a subtle way that it, it, I, I think having all the visuals and having the sound effects and whatever really helps explain it without someone having to slap you over the head with it. You know, the, the does this weird voice, the whole theater rumbles, and then she is forced to do what he said. And you get it. It's a, it doesn't take much. And it's done early enough in the movie that you're like, all right, that's one of the conceits of the world. I'm with you. I'm on board. Uh, the shields that they wear with their sword fighting were really cool. And the, the fight um, with between Paul and Gurney Halak, Josh Brolin, uh, right off the, the bat that to, to just demonstrate how that shield thing works really good. I, I get it. I, I, having watched the David Lynch version last night, it, that movie keeps adding stuff as it goes. And it's by the end, I'm just like, tapping out i'm like there's too much weirdness happening too late in this movie you're asking me to accept too much with the denny villeneuve version it's a lot smoother and a lot more acceptable the way it it doles the information out i I think if i were reading the novel based on what you've said i've read other books that throw you in like that and the barrier to entry my brain has a real hard time accepting it and i would be like i could feel myself I uh, rejecting it as I'm mm-hmm. reading it. And I feel like I'd have to push through that. And these days, I don't know if I'm strong enough to push through it. <laughs> Jeez. I think the book does a pretty good job though, because uh, I mean, I just read it for the first time and it really just pulls you into the world and then starts working through all the terminology. And sometimes. And you, you read it, it before it, you saw the movie, right? Yes. And sometimes it's in a way where you're okay with not knowing exactly what that means right now. As you figure, they'll probably explain it to you. Sometimes the words are just, you know, beautiful and you're just like, oh, sounds nice. Let's find out more about that later. I think it helps that 
I mean, all of us have watched so many sci-fi and so many fantasy movies with so many terms. It's like just watching Star Wars. Uh, you know, you've already become accustomed to just taking these words, you know, as they are and, and, and just, you know, finding the meaning in them in the movie or in the book. But it's not like that much of a stretch. Interesting. I, I got to tell you, I expected different answers. I like I do agree. Like I think this movie does a great job of the intri- like of smoothing you into those concepts. Mm-hmm. I also think it helps that this movie sort of skips bits and pieces. Yeah. Uh, they don't talk, like the movie doesn't talk about the mentats. It doesn't talk about like the Holtzman effect with the laser guns on the shields. Like it, it drops a lot of and admittedly unnecessary stuff. The movie went yeah. well without it. And then those little bits, like if you've read the book, like you can recognize the mentats, you can see what they did with them and you get that, you know, that, that little thrill of knowledge that that little bit was meant for you. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they definitely dropped some of the, the bigger concepts just to smoothen it out. And I am okay with that. 90% of the time. <laughs> okay, so one area where I wish they'd done a bit more explanation, and I think this is because Games of Thro- Game of Thrones spoiled this sort of thing for me, but they keep talking about uh, houses and the, the emperor. You never see the emperor in this. You sort of hear about him, and it's really just the two houses that you see interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. And not knowing the bigger picture, I had a hard time getting the significance of it. Like I got the basic, like they are getting the planet with the spice and the spice is important. And the other house is pissed off that they got kicked out of it, but not knowing any of the other politics involved, it was hard to care as much or like hard to get the significance of it all. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that's fair. They mentioned the lands rad, but they never really go into like how, the government and the politics of this universe work other than, yeah, like you said, there's an emperor and there's a couple houses, yada, yada, yada. They fight. Yeah. They, they, they don't mention the Conley. They don't mention the feud. They don't, again, they, they, they sort of wear it down to brass tacks and exactly like you said, Graham, it still works, but you are missing a larger, a larger concept. But again, like, I'm, like when you read the book, it doesn't start off with "oh, and this is what the lands rat is." You just mm-hmm. you sort of pick up as you go, right? Like nothing, like like there's a glossary at the end, I guess, but you don't know until you get to the end of the book. <laughs> uh, but they don't like. I mean, compare to both Lynch's Dune and the Sci-Fi Channel's miniseries Dune that start with narration that start with yeah. a Bene Gesserit basically doing a Star Wars crawl where it's okay. So these are the two houses and this is the planet and this is the spice and this is how it works. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, I was I was very curious if they were gonna uh you know use dear old Princess I in there and her uh endless exposition. Um but uh yeah I was glad I was <laughs> glad they didn't. Um but it's very enjoyable in the book, but it definitely would have been sort of obnoxious in the movie. Well, I, yeah, I think I think they do. A, they don't need that exposition. I think uh, it's it's it can be a, like an information dump like dump like that can be distracting and and take you out of the experience a bit. So I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, I have mixed feelings about the fact that you don't actually see. I, I'm not going to get the name right, but the the pilots of the ships, the, the guys, navigators. Actually, 
the navigators, yeah. the, the actually the users of the spice. And, and I know the Lynch version takes liberties. I, I don't know if they take liberties with the drivers, but seeing what Lynch did with the drivers, I'm kind of glad they didn't do it, show them in this because they are bizarre in that. And I feel like it would have been a whole other like hat on a hat situation where you're like, okay, hold on a second. Are these things even human? Whereas in this, it's just like, here's the, the, the driver's, can they use the spice and they can take you places and that's all you need to know. And that really is all you need to know. But sometimes without the finer details, it makes it harder to fully embrace the world. Like they talk about how important the drivers are and how important the spice is to them, but you never actually see them using it or, or even get a sense of how important they are aside from people just being like, Hey, they're important. But Jesse, correct me if I'm wrong, but, aren't they super secretive i don't think they do much there uh in the, they are in the book. In the... yeah you can't you're not allowed to see them you have to travel in the spaceship while never leaving your area yeah in the first book no one sees a navigator and They're then secret. they become much they get you know and then they get steersmen later on does later books gets crazier doesn't matter but yeah it's intentionally <laughs> mysterious uh to, uh, both, I think, to add to like the mystery of the spice, mm-hmm. and also because I mean, let's face it, it was nineteen was it sixty five? I said, yeah. Um, and this had a lot to do with pulling oil out of the Middle East, and it helps to have that be kind of vague to help make your your metaphor work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I I accept that it um it was just what by the time the movie ended, um. I didn't get the sense of the mystery of them. It just felt like they were missing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. They could have done a bit more to say, like they do in the book, that when you travel through space, you're not allowed to leave the hold and you can't ever see these yeah. navigators. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you never really see space travel at all in the, that movie. No. No, no you see really. the Highliners and ships going like down to a planet and back up to them. Yeah, and there's and there's and somebody had the really cool idea to make the highliners look like the worms, which was yes, fun. Yes, I love that. Yeah, that was a cool detail. But yeah, we never actually see them do like a Battlestar Galactica style space jump or anything. So yeah, so it's tricky in that one, like because I mean, you, you like what you get in the movie isn't much more than you get from the book in that sense. Like it's not imp- like it's not important how they use the spice and how they travel. It's just important that they do. And that they, they need the spice or nobody can do that. Now, I thought that maybe wasn't touched on as much in the movie as it should. Because they go into the yes. spice and they talk about that it's important, but nobody like like that's one thing even the book lays out. They're like, you know, the the this universe, all the planets support each other. They rely on space travel. Space travel only happens because of the spice. Understand if there's no spice, there's no civilization. That's how important it is. I felt like that could have been hammered home a little more maybe in the next one who knows I mean, yeah, I it's a key plot point towards the yes. end so it'll have to come up at some yes. point <laughs> one hopes mm-hmm. so filmmaking question for you folks mm-hmm. i so we're talking about how they've streamlined everything now since the movies come out a bunch of production stills have been started to be collected over socials of stuff that didn't make it into the final cut of this movie um, there's scenes of Gurney Halleck playing his balisette, like scenes of Dr. Yue talking to Jessica about his wife. 
like lots of little details from the novel that they left out and people are already clamoring like give us the Villeneuve cut you know <laughs> and Denis Villeneuve has come out and says well what's in the theater is the Villeneuve cut that's the movie yeah. I made I think it's complete I don't want to make a, an extended edition I think this is the good movie that um, is the perfect answer yes I I don't think any movie has been improved that much by adding in all of the deleted scenes that they now, none of us have seen the Snyder cut yet. That's true. <laughs> but my uh, understanding is that it's a lot better than the classic Justice League. So I don't think it would be hard to be a lot better than the classic Justice League, but <laughs> nice. I'm not Earned. sure I'm willing to try. No, I don't want to watch it either, but <laughs> I'm just curious. And the, this is I agree with his answer. I think this was a great movie and it's the movie he wanted to make. Fine. Perfect. But the Dune guy in me wants to see all the Dune that I can Dune, you know? <laughs> well, hopefully on the home video release, there'll be deleted scenes. Home video? <laughs> well, that's what I, you know what I mean? Like, home, like the, yeah, the Blu-ray. Yeah. They're still now available on VHS and Betamax. <laughs> there are still Blu-rays that come out and I'm sure there'll be deleted scenes on some version of it. And sometimes that's the best way to get these. It's like they yeah. don't if you adding them back into the movie makes it longer, it can throw off the pacing, but having them as their own separate thing, you still get to enjoy seeing them without having to worry about how they fit into the whole narrative. As far as director's cuts go, I, I, I Snyder cut notwithstanding, I am interested in them if there's something that the director wants to do. If he feels like his vision or her vision was compromised in some way and they didn't get the movie they wanted out there, I'm I'm totally for seeing it and seeing what that looks like. Better or worse, Apocalypse Now has done a few of those. Um, the my favorite example of, is Kingdom of Heaven. I think the the director's cut is so much better than the theatrical cut. So there are instances where it's better, but a lot of times, especially with a movie that's already two hours and forty minutes long, adding more doesn't make it better. It just makes it more. Personally, I was really dreading uh, Gurney's songs being tossed in there and was very happy to see that they were not in there. <laughs> you don't want to hear Josh Brolin sing? He's, he truly no. <laughs> sings a lot of songs in that book, and I definitely didn't need them. Well, to be fair, Josh Brolin's stepmother is Barbara Streisand, so maybe he's got more singing chops than we... <laughs> you we... know what? He might. Save it for the deleted <laughs> scenes, Gurney. I mean, let me just put that in there. Just I get this. Ah, this is. I know I should try to be less of a weeb about this, but like I was, I was really disappointed in like just in Gurney Halleck just being like regular soldier guy, like having him yeah. be the like the singer poet. Like it was such a, so much more interesting character in the book and in the movie. He's he's basically Cable from Deadpool Two. Yeah, I think they were missing that, and I mean, he does say like, uh, "Give us a song instead." but they've never established that he would sing something. So it just seems kind of like a random thing to say. Like he just doesn't have his instrument. I didn't want him to sing, but I definitely wanted him to, you know, be more like the book one though. He does, he does recite a lot of verses, which also isn't, you know, super established why he would be doing that. But, you know, he says some cool stuff. Uh, what if he, uh, they, they took out the songs he sings in the movie and replaced them with modern day pop songs. <laughs> That would be awesome. Get out. Musical <laughs> interlude time. As recorded by Weezer. Uh, and sung. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what if he, he started singing Buddy Holly? Uh, 
It's a classic. <laughs> By this time, that would be a very classic and ancient song. All right. Well, I didn't. I didn't mean to get us off track of the, the director's <laughs> cut thing. I just. I mean, now that you've brought up pop music, maybe I'm okay with him dropping the <laughs> the, the troubadour thing after all. But <laughs> any case, I don't. Hey, Graham, circling back, like I'm glad you brought up Apocalypse Now and Kingdom of Heaven because I feel like those are great examples of the extremes. Where like Apocalypse Now, the director's cut version is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't feel like it adds anything to the movie that wasn't there already in terms of like the emotional response. I mean, if we're going to, we could probably do a whole podcast on this, but I actually, the, the redux version of Apocalypse Now, I kind of hate it. It changes the tone of the movie in a lot of ways. And I, I, oh, I, I, I don't like it. I mean, they they looked at this movie and like, you know what this needs? It needs a two hour long conversation entirely in French. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, Kingdom of Heaven, like you made me watch it, made me watch the, the director's cut version first. Uh, and and it's honestly, I think my response was, well, it was a little long, but yeah, it was good. And then I saw the theatrical version later and it felt like. It felt like one of the mid to late Harry Potter movies, which just don't make any sense without the book to back it up. Like, important carve so much out of it. Yeah, there's just so much missing that like characters appear and disappear for no reason. They, like it's just so I'm saying like it could go ill like for 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 good or for ill. But I do want to see more of that stuff from the book on the screen. And maybe that's just because like, I, I, I love that book so much and I want more of it. I, I'm having trouble divorcing it, but I do feel like, like, like Dr. Yui's turn, it's like, well, who's this guy? I don't really know him. Oh, he's a traitor. Like, it's just, there's no yeah. weight to it. It felt so hollow. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of characters to introduce, and when they're like, oh, and this guy's the traitor, you're like, oh, okay. It could have been <laughs> any one of them, and it would have had about the same emotional resonance, because you don't really get a chance to know anyone. You you know that Duncan Idaho is a cool dude, and everyone likes him, but a lot of that is just because Jason Momoa is essentially playing himself. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And I, 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 I wonder if I read the book now, if in my head, Duncan Idaho will look like Jason Momoa or if he'll look like how he <laughs> used to You better hope so. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I actually do like his portrayal of Duncan Idaho, to be fair. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's supposed to be the one guy, like, who's just a regular dude. Well, everyone else is like you know a noble or a or a duke or a, like a, a space witch or a, like he's just a guy. He's just there to fight and be cool. And that like I think I th- I, I'm not the, as big a Momoa fan as other folks. I think, but I think in this case that really worked. Like what he was trying to do with Aquaman in Justice League is what he did to this character here. And here I think it kind of works. Uh, again, you got some- me off my director's cut thing though. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so here, here's a question. What if they... So how do you feel about the extended editions of Lord of the Rings? I, I would never watch the theatrical ones. Right. And that's such an interesting example, because like you said, the extended editions are essentially the the editions that everyone wants. I mean, that, that's my impression anyway. I certainly haven't done a survey of everyone, but whenever I've seen the two available, I'm always like, wow, you got to get the extended edition. Who's going to watch the the non-extended edition at this point? 
I mean, and there are heinous omissions, like especially by Return of the King. <laughs> like, like they are like they're missing key elements. Like, they, like there's just I understand the runtime is astounding. I yeah. love Lord of the Rings, but even I like sitting through those movies. It's like I I really need to pause and like take a stretch. But it's not the movies aren't complete in their theatrical run. Like that's I I felt like that was a no brainer. So if if there was an extended edition of Dune in that vein, where it's not necessarily a director's cut, it's just like the director understood that there has to be a theatrical cut, and now he can add some stuff for the the home release. Sorry, the streaming release or whatever. I mean, home, home is again. fine. It's it's home video. That's a term Sorry. I've been heard <laughs> since long before you were born. You know. <laughs> But I, I I think it's all on the quality of the extended release. Like Lord of the Rings extended, yes. Hobbit extended, no. Like no, thank you. I know it's there, and I'll never watch it. I Hobbit theatrical, I, no. Like I, I exactly, want none of that. Exactly, but I think that's what it comes down to. Like Dune is awesome. I will watch an extended Dune if that's better. Then that will be like the version in my mind. Um, if it's not, I'll ignore it forever. But I think it also helps that I watched Lord of the Rings and the extended ones when I was young enough that these are like cemented into my mind and uh you know I had the time to do it as well like right now <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> yeah it's hard to find long chains of uninterrupted hours yeah and, uh, yeah that's 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 fair but I mean Dune is one of those movies like Lord of the Rings where that franchise i guess it is but like that that property means so much to me that that becomes a special event right like that's not just throwing on you know fast and the furious 19 the fast and the furious fight willy wonka like it's this this is like okay i i have some spare time on friday i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna watch this whole thing you know, back to back i'm gonna pour myself mm-hmm. a scotch i'm gonna sit and like and like, like this is something i would luxuriate in rather than just yeah. watching a movie so yeah. I I mean, you're right. If they threw in a bunch of those scenes and it ruined the pacing and it became a slog, I'd be upset. But I don't think I have enough faith in the material and in the filmmaker that I don't think that's what would happen. And I totally respect his decision to not do it. But I do kind of wish we were in the timeline where I could see see everything, see it all. I'd be very curious. Hey, it's early days yet. Who knows? Maybe they're like, yeah, we need to milk a few more million out of this. Let's toss in an extended cut. Yeah, and Denis Villeneuve needs to buy someone a house or something. So yeah, <laughs> rile him back up again. Okay, he, uh, we'll, he needs to we'll buy see. A few more sandworms, and he just needs a little bit more money. To be I mean, to be fair, on that count, it didn't cost as much as I thought it would. The budget's what? Uh, here we go, one hundred and sixty-five million. Yeah, you did it, a good job. It looks way more expensive than that. Like that, that that's less than the first season of The Mandalorian. I think it's because deserts are cheap, Jesse. You can get a desert for just about any amount of money. I guess five dollar but... desert, ten dollar desert. They're they're out there. They're pretty empty. <laughs> Nobody owns them. You can I, do what you want. See, you say that, but one of the most. I mean, it's funny. One of the funniest parts of the miniseries, of the Sci-Fi Channel miniseries Dune, is how little budget they had. <laughs> um, it's, I think the first, yeah, the first miniseries was $20 million for six hours of television. And they're, like, when Paul and Jessica are wandering through the desert, they are extremely clearly wandering through a sandbox, like, in front of a painting <laughs> of sand dunes. Like, it's just... Incredible. 
<laughs> and yet that was a really popular miniseries. It's it's very good. It's award winning. This isn't just me being weird. It's really really good. But they did not like. They did not have a lot of money to play with. Uh, like so, you talk about these cheap deserts. Well, other people have suffered. <laughs> <laughs> they were just being lazy. They could have. They could have done better. It does feel weird that one hundred and sixty-five million dollars is considered cheap. Yeah. That's true, but you know, uh, as we saw with the what Fred Claus comparison that you showed me <laughs> on Twitter, where Fred Claus cost a hundred million and Dune cost one hundred and sixty-five million, you never know where that budget's going to go. That is fair. Yeah, the the, I mean, the budget for No Time to Die is somewhere between two fifty and three hundred million. Right. Yeah. Like, think about that. The movies are about the same length. Uh, they're both came out this year, so they're both on the same like pay scale. They both have action. They both have characters. They both have like weird sets. But one is set on uh, on alien planets with a lot of weird creatures, and the other is a James Bond movie. <laughs> yes, we're driving through Europe. Yeah, I'm just saying that for the money that they spent on No Time to Die, it it doesn't look prettier than Dune. I feel like it comes down to the No Time to Die actors were more expensive than the Dune actors in the end. Right, I yeah, mean, Timothy I Chalamet do. doesn't demand as much as, as Craig. <laughs> I'm sure he will on the next one. Um, well, not as much as Daniel Craig, probably, after this many years in his James Bond contract. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure their dollar amounts will, will bump up. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, here and there. <laughs> Uh, why don't we talk a bit about the the uh, some of the metaphors of the movie, like what it's about, the themes, like the, the and and the series in general. Like there, there's very interesting environmental things that um, seem very prescient for a, a movie right now, and yet it the it's based on a book that where it all comes from from the '60s, and to have the concerns of exploitation and uh, environmental devastation from something that long ago is kind of amazing. I mean, they were, they were still like messing that stuff up back then too. It's yeah, but I don't think it doesn't feel like anyway, people were as aware of it or, or talking about it in the same way that we are now. I was pretty impressed um, reading it. Because a lot of times when you read these books that are this old, they're, you know, about as problematic and you'd ex- as you'd expect. And I mean, this one had its problematic aspects looking at it through the lens of 2021. But a lot of this stuff was done in like a really, really good way where it does really translate to a lot of what's going on today in a way that isn't, you know, insulting, <laughs> especially uh, the way it touches upon like. The female characters is really what impressed me because I was not expecting much. Yeah, it it's it, it has powerful female characters. Um, I think the movie did a, did better with them than the book in terms of giving them a little more power, but it's there. It it touches on a lot of Islamic and Arabic stuff, but in a yeah. very like appreciative way. Um, and I know, like, some of the, like, real Dune fanatics' complaints is that they actually toned some of that down for the movie. 
They really do. I noticed that as well. They they got rid of the word jihad pretty hardcore. I can see why they did it um, based on, you know, the world of today. But yeah, I, I can definitely see that. Yeah, there are at least two jihads that are supremely important plot points yeah. <laughs> in the overarching dude story. And in this one, we see like Paul's vision of the future. And I think once he refers to it as a crusade, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's says, fine. He says crusade and he says holy war as well. Um, so I guess that's that's the route they've gone. Yeah. It's fair. It's fair. Which is fine, but like it's so clearly dancing around the word that like. Yeah. But neither here nor there. Most of the yeah. stuff that they take from that, a lot of the words and a lot of the culture and a lot of the stuff is is de- done very respectfully in the book and respectfully in the movie. Maybe they could have tried casting a few more sort of you know actors of Middle Eastern origin for that, but but this they're still doing okay. Yeah, yeah. The college-y stuff, I tend to go back and forth on. It, I mean, it seems. Like the least subtle message to come out of it, I guess. Like, it's not hitting you over the head, but it's like, oh, yeah, there's these desert people that we oppress and steal their resources to make our empire go. It's a little. That's fair, but I just, and again, maybe this is recency bias or whatever. I just don't feel like you hear that that much coming out of material from the 60s. You know, I think of the even the stuff well i guess there's some of that in i was thinking star trek is my my number one sci-fi 60s <laughs> touchstone and i guess there's some of that exploitation stuff in the episode the cloud minders where all the beautiful people are up in the sky and they're the poor people doing the mining or in the ground and they're oppressed and whatever so so maybe it's more of a thing that i'm giving it credit for it just feels like uh I guess specifically the the destruction of the planet at the, you know, the planet is paying for the exploitation of it that the the humans in the upper class are using to to travel around space. The planet's being destroyed because of it, and uh, I think there's there's that feels ahead of its time, not now, but for a book from the sixties, yeah, yeah, I see it, and it gets complicated too in that planet's paying but the sandworms like it right you want to protect those guys again it's weird i mean we said spoiler alert but yeah look we said spoiler alert. we said spoiler alert the planet is fine yeah what's happening on the planet as we'll discover is exactly what's happening to the planet and then it goes the other way (laughs) so it goes all sorts of ways i think yeah (laughs) it's it's hard to touch upon the themes in some ways and that what you think are the themes kind of like upend and like are not and just you know reverse and it it takes you in a lot of directions as you go I haven't read the subsequent books but I have read their wikipedia summaries so I know some things (laughs) yeah um so yeah super super spoiler territory we're getting into now um Heads up, people. I mean, if you're still listening by this point, I don't know. But, like, another thing that Dune gets hit with, um, it gets hit with white savior sometimes. You know, we have Paul going to the Fremen, and he's a magic guy, and he's going to help them overthrow their shackles and stuff. And it's it's it sounds like, you know, the white guy coming to the, the downtrodden civilization to uplift them with his whiteness, except that 
later on in Dune and in stories that it sounds like may or may not even make it to the screen this time, we know that that blows up in their face tremendously. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing more terrible than the white savior hmm. to, that happens to these people. So that is addressed, but I know that uh, not everybody spent the last 30 years reading Dune. <laughs> and that, that idea, I, I, I have seen it get p- popping up on socials and on blog posts and et cetera. And it usually gets smacked down, yeah. uh, but it's the, but it's there and, it's certainly from the perspective of a guy talking on a podcast, it's hard to discuss because you don't want to give too much away, but it's also, I mean, as a white guy talking on a podcast, I feel like maybe I'm not in the best place to judge it anyway. Sure. And in the, I would say in the defense of the, uh, the articles that are discussing it, if you're just going by this movie or the Lynch movie and you know that I think that's reasonable. That's what is put on screen. That's the story yeah. that's being told. Uh, especially at the end of the Lynch one, he's he's saved the day. Like he led the uprising. They're t- defeated the the empire, and they're they're taking control. And he's taught the desert people how to be the the best selves. And he uses their techniques better than they do. And there's all this stuff that clearly he's a white savior. And you know, if that gets overturned four books down the line, that's fine for the books. But the movie, the story that we're getting in the first one is very much the white savior. Yeah. And that's uh, the feeling that you get just from watching the first new film. Uh, you definitely feel it. But um, yeah, so we'll have to see what he does with the second one. Yeah, but I guess that's the question, right? I mean, he's come out and said he wants to do three movies, which will cover the first two books. And if he gets that, and I see no reason why he wouldn't, then this situation will be addressed. But if he doesn't, and he just does Dune Part 1 and Part 2, and it ends at the end of the first book, that idea is there. And so I guess, the like to your point, the question is, if that's the story you have, if you're not a fanatic, if you just watched these two movies, and then that's the idea you're going to get, and it's like, is that okay? Uh, and to be fair, again, I don't know. He hasn't even, like, they're still, they just started working on the second movie. Maybe he's going to work some of that into it. So we know how it goes wrong, but it's, I'm wondering if it's something that maybe they could have paid a little more attention to. I, to my mind, and again, we're coming from a difficult place of, of who we are and, and the, uh, the perspectives that we have, but I feel like there's a lot of mitigating factors in that aspect of it. You know, the idea that he's, there's this prophecy and the Benny Gesserit have planted these seeds to, to make, him becoming what he becomes just a part of all these different cultures. And so I, I feel like there's, there's ways to sort of weasel your way around that and give, make a lot of like, well, and, but I think the harder thing to accept for me is the idea that there's this powerful group of women who have these extra abilities and they've been controlling things and, and guiding things from behind the scenes for years uh, and all of it is in the service of a um, man getting the power in the end, being the ultimate savior. That feels a bit more insulting. It, I, I definitely agree with you. It was one of the thoughts I had in the book and one of the thoughts that I had during the movie. And I mean, they do kind of tongue in cheek where they say, you know, all of this power wasted on a man. 
um, and whatnot, but it really does feel like they're all like waiting for the man to come and save them. Yeah, that that's better in the books too, because it's it's very clear they intend to control everything this man does, that it's just a tool. Uh, and then so. in, and then in why the did it have to be a man at all, Jesse? Why did why did it default to some man? Because they already have the the woman's again. I know, but the optics of it is always some chosen man. Yeah, yeah, it's never a chosen mom, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. it's really nice as the as a mom of a boy to see such an iconic mother son adventure duo. It's like <laughs> it's true. Jessica and Paul. Mary and Jesus, Lucille and Esther. <laughs> like, it's all, they're all good stories. I love it. Yeah. And those are the only they, three. I aspire it to be Stella and Rex adventures. I, I can't comment. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it is a pairing that you don't see often in movies, like the mother-son yeah. adventure. It's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. It, it, it's, yeah. Nice to see mom along for the ride. Like especially with the mother being effective, right? Like, yeah, you know, he like got in the, rid of that dad quick. He was dead like weight in the chopper when like, when she can start using the voice, like give me the knife, kill him, all that. Like, 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 holy crap, she's scary. <laughs> my, my favorite was at the very end when they're just like walking off into the sunrise. The look that Jessica gives to Chani, that was my favorite. Paul what is does like, the look you know, say? <laughs> they're like walking along and Chani smiles at, at Paul and Paul smiles at Chani and first Jessica's smiling and then her smile turns into like a little frown and she's like <laughs> no thank you I love it <laughs> mother-in-law from hell <laughs> Dune fanatic thing again just to break in when you were reading it did you say Chani or Chaney I would say Chani I'm a Chani girl. <laughs> Interesting. Well, after after the Chaney existence of Dick, Dick Cheney, Cheney, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't I really like, think you're a Dick Cheney. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this is a thing that has come up. Like different Dune products pronounce the name differently. Um, and my understanding is that Chani is the correct. Like if you're reading English, but Frank Herbert said Cheney. Oh really? Mm. Yeah. I, don't listen to me. I, when I was reading Harry Potter, said Hermione and was very embarrassed. <laughs> so, I, I, well, what I'm saying is, I don't think there is a right answer. Uh, but I, but it was in the back of my head this whole time, like watching the movie. I, I was into the movie, but I was always like, I wonder how they're going to pronounce the name. <laughs> and you get one, like Stilgar that. calls her Chani, and it's like, oh, okay, we're going with that one. Uh, and like, like, like all the audiobooks say Cheney, and it's like, really. Ah, anyway, I still minor... don't know how to say Princess Irulan, or, or I don't, I don't know how to say her name. I think that's uh, right, Irulan. Irulan. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She actually gets a character arc in the miniseries, so you hear her name said a lot. I loved her little histories in the book. I very much enjoyed being diverted by those, and I look forward to her. Though I feel like you know. Her character gets the short end of the stick, but whatever. She's a very minor character in the books. Yeah. Uh, But they give her a whole thing in the, again, in the miniseries, she sort of takes over like what the Fenrings do in the first book. That's all her. 
like going to Giddy Prime and meeting Fade Rautha and doing this whole they have this whole thing like she meets Paul before uh before the oh, Harkonnens yeah. take over on Arrakis. I think it's, I had read that, yeah. It was a cool like it was a cool way to bring another strong female character into it, which it really does need. Uh they did it in this movie by making Liet a woman, which yeah. works just fine. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I like yeah. that. Who was that actress? She was really good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd heard of her before. Yeah, she wasn't familiar to me. I don't know. Uh, I, I do know that in the Lynch version, that character was played by Max von Sydow. So that was a bit of a surprise when, when he showed up and I was expecting a black woman. Um, <laughs> but I will say that he, in the Lynch version, he's the only one who says can say the dialogue without it seeming forced or, or stiff. He's the only one who makes it sound natural. So I, I very much enjoyed him. They do a much better job of having everyone feel more natural in the Villeneuve version. Yeah, I don't think we... I think we can... Well, I guess, Stella, you haven't seen it. But, like, Graham, and at least... Like, me coming from the perspective of a huge Dune guy, you coming from someone who, like... I'm not going to say doesn't care, but who is not <laughs> invested. We can both agree that that isn't worth the time to, to stream it, right? Yeah, probably not. Uh I was I, there a whole other podcast, but there's stuff in there that I it was so weird and felt felt natural to the world of Dune, but just seemed weird additions. I was talking with Stella about it, and she was like, "That is not in the books." And I was like, "Really?" Like using the voice to like using a voice power to kill people and stuff. Oh, the the weirding modules yeah. are entirely yeah. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, Ernest Klein referred to those in one of his more recent books, I think. And it's just, I think a character points out, like, that isn't even original from the novels. <laughs> I just, it's so hard to look at a, at a movie that has Patrick Stewart in it and say, that's terrible. <laughs> he's great in it. Ah, he's fine. Okay, I, he's fine. But he means, Not my gurney. Yeah, that, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> I like Patrick Stewart, but that is not a great role for him. And yeah. I thought he he's like he's doing bombastic Patrick Stewart. He's always talking like this. <laughs> <laughs> I think he he fits the world. Yeah. <laughs> Can he sing no songs either? Not a song from Patrick. No, but he is carrying a ballast like an instrument. At least he's got that. By the gods, what a monster! It's like okay, just just tone it down. Like you're in a you're in like a two meter square space. They can hear you. It doesn't seem like a tone it down movie, Jesse. Like maybe <laughs> no. maybe he just wanted to like keep up with everything else. Yeah, maybe that's part of the broader problem with it. Everything is like turned way up. Yeah. And then the second half of the movie takes place almost entirely in montage. So. Yeah, we'll we'll go with that as an official Geek Top 5 recommendation. Just don't worry about the David Lynch one. Just, <laughs> even David Lynch doesn't like it. You don't have Maybe to watch it. Maybe worry about it, but don't watch it. Just be worried. Yeah, be worried that you might have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you need to, go ahead and YouTube Sting in his Valkyrie's underwear. Because <laughs> that shot lingers. That's a significant part of the movie for some reason. There's so many parts that I, I know are in the... Uh, the David Lynch one that I'm so curious based on how he did them to see how they're done in the next one. I mean, honestly, mainly Aaliyah. Like I, I I'm very curious to see how that's done. Okay. Explain Aaliyah to, to our non Dune heads. 
she's Paul's abomination sister, who is a small <laughs> child who speaks like an adult and is uh, kind of stabby, honestly. I don't think you're allowed to call small children abominations. No, no, that's, that's the actual title. term. That's the actual words that they use to describe the thing <laughs> that happens yeah. to this kid. The capital because... A abomination. <laughs> like short short version before she's born she gains the memories of a bunch of Benny Gesserit and so like as a fetus in the womb she's already like an intelligent and learned old woman and comes out a really creepy kid I felt bad for her during most of the book because nobody likes her like literally nobody likes her the Fremen are like ew stay away from me and stay away from my children she's just this like weird little kid it doesn't go better for her as it goes on. No, I know. I, I, I've definitely <laughs> Right, you wikipedia it. Yeah. Yes, okay. she's an abomination from beginning to end. But, you know, I'm very interested to see the non-cheesy way, hopefully, that she's handled. Because, I mean, just her, like, little speeches as a child. Uh, and, you know, she has these long, intelligent speeches. But the way that Frank Herbert describes it, she still has, like, a childlike lisp. And as someone with a four-year-old, like, I'm trying to, like, marry these two things. And I'm like, I don't know what this is going to sound like. <laughs> yeah, well, just, like, try to picture Rex, but doing, like, a like a Patrick Stewart monologue, doing drumhead. <laughs> this is what worries me. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's what you don't want to imagine. That's what okay. I don't want to watch. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, yeah. How, how he's going to do Aaliyah will be interesting. I think the visions in general... Like, we started to see them already in this one, yeah. and they're pretty wild. And it definitely, my my, first, like my rewatch, the second time I saw it, I was able to piece together sort of how they were emerging better. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's interesting that they show kind of, like, how his visions aren't always reliable, um, and how it's not always what's actually going to happen, but they don't explain it very much. Yeah, they, when they have Jameis look right into the camera and go, I'll teach you the ways of the desert. Yeah, and they're you know, like, trust friend, your fr- and then, friend. Yeah, and then it doesn't quite work out that way for him at the end. A scene later, it's like stabby stabby. It's a, so how they're going to do that with some of the bigger stuff, with some of the mm-hmm. stuff with the jihad, and then with the golden path is going to be really fascinating. I'm curious how what they're going to do with Fade Routha. I mean, probably some sort of skimpy bathing suit bottom. I'm guessing. I, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the law. But having the character completely absent from part one, like, I get it. Like, that was okay. Didn't need him to be there. But then how do they explain it for part two? I I guess they're going to have to do some flashback work, maybe? Maybe. Like, they didn't even mention him. I mean, I feel like it could have been kind of useful to at least have the Baron or 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 Raban, like say his name at some point, but I guess maybe. So what? Denise, what's the deal with him? He's he was Sting in the in the Lynch version. He's like the good, well, not the good, but like he's the Harkonnen son who isn't a a, a fuck up nephew, basically. right? He's a ne- they're both nephews. They're right? both nephews, but Raban yeah. is the like the brute who yeah. the Baron is just like using basically, and Fade Routha is the one who's intended to be like the future of the Harkonnens. Like, he's the and cool he's one. handsome. <laughs> right. He's very handsome. <laughs> so I, I get that, but I, like what is, I don't know. I have, I, I don't even remember what he does in the movie. I saw it yesterday. What is his function? Like, why is he important? Could you eliminate him from the book or from the movie and, and you wouldn't miss much? 
yeah, he doesn't really do that much. I mean, other than be involved in a fight scene. Yeah, in the book, when it comes down, like a a lot of it happens right at the end of the book. One of the last things that happens is the knife fight between Paul and Fedorotha. And it's like, if Paul wins, he's going to take over the universe. And if Fedorotha wins, then the Harkonnens are going to ascend to power and nothing's ever going to change. But the funny thing is you have no doubt that Paul's going to win. It's like, it's it's kind of, I mean, it's it's exciting when you read it, but it's kind of anticlimactic because they do build up Fedorotha. Like they mention him and there is like a scene with him in the book, but then it amounts to so little. Could you combine him? Could you just have it be Dave Bautista doing everything? I don't think so, because like the like Dave Bautista hasn't had a big role, but we've seen him enough to know that he's like he's a big sloppy tank of a guy, right? Yeah. We see him shouting at the Baron and not knowing what's going on. We see him executing prisoners after the takeover of Arakeen. Like he's a, a, a you know, he's a mid level boss. He's not the, the final boss. Yeah, Fade Routha is kind of supposed to be like alternative Paul, like who might be okay and who might have been able to take on like a Paul role, but you know, not. Okay. But he's still a bad dude. He's still, yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, but yeah, so it's, I mean, they would have to find something else to do right at the end, but I can see them dropping the character. It just, they would need something else of import to be like the thing between Paul and the throne. Yeah. I'm not, there, there are a few, little story beats that they haven't really touched upon um like jessica's heritage or parentage and then fade rosa um these things where i'm like not entirely confident how they're gonna work them into the story or if they even need to that much okay here's another thing i i had that may not be that important and and so there may be a perfectly good reason why they didn't include it but why aren't Paul's parents married? Like, why is she a concubine? Because Leto is, like, holding out for a political marriage. Oh, okay. Yeah, they... Basically, the Bene Gesserit sometimes reveal their parentage and sometimes don't, and Jessica's is secret. Um, so she doesn't bring any real political clout to a marriage, but he ends up loving her so much that he never actually marries anybody. Um, including her. Aww. Which is bigger in the books, but they do touch that, uh, touch on that in the movie. It's the last thing he says to her, right? Is he yeah. says, I should have married you. Yeah, but it's not clear in the movie as to why he didn't. Yeah. So it's kind of a line where you're like, all right, <laughs> commitment phobe. <laughs> yeah, so did that strike you as weird, Graham? Were you just sitting there like, why is that important? Or um, It just... <sighs> I didn't. It seemed like a uh, a detail that I expected to get fleshed out, and it never was. And so, it, it. I don't think it affected my enjoyment of the movie. It was just by the end of it, I was like, "Well, that's a weird detail to have as part of the plot and not address." And I understand. Obviously, I understand. It's part one. They say it's part one right from the get go. But uh, knowing that I'm going to have to. I don't know. I I don't even know if it's going to be mentioned in the next movie. But for now, it just seemed like a missing detail. You know, I really? bet you it is going to be, and I, this, and I bet you this is how they're going to do it. Like, like Stella said, we've already seen Jessica disapproves of Paul and Chani, and it's because, she, like, she doesn't want him to marry this wild desert girl. She wants him to marry for power. 
Uh, that's a big thing that comes up in the books. And I bet you, like, when they have that argument, it's going to be that's like, that's where that's come up. She's going to tell him, well, I never got to marry your father. And it's not even just about marrying for power. Right? It depends on how much they get into the Bene Gesserit, like, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of breeding program where they have been, you know, specifically interbreeding houses to get the best bloodlines, like, you know, like they're yeah. animals basically. Um, and it, that also ties very much into Jessica's actual parentage. So it's, it's a question of how deep they'll actually get into that. I mean, Jessica is in the end, like a Bene Gesserit and I'm sure she would like, I don't want to even say it. I wanted to say to breed Paul with someone good, but you know, it's just kind of gross. Gross to say. Yeah, but it's a, it's a gross thing that they're doing, and yeah, that's uh, for sure. and that, yeah. So yeah, it um, you know, it, I guess it depends on how much Dune you're doing because I can see them sort of not mentioning that if it just ends with Paul's story. Yeah, it's if you go into the bigger picture where you need to get more into that. So maybe the answer to that question is just, well, it depends on how successful these movies keep being. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we should probably zoom out a bit. We are almost out of time. Uh, any other little things would like to see, would like explained, would like to have done in the next one? No, I'm very excited to see them riding the worms, though. I mean, you see it at like a tiny little bit, but uh, and then they kind of... They like almost do it with that uh, with Liet kind, but it's uh, it's very it's it's exciting to me. I want to I want to see what it looks like. I guess for me, one one last thought was, and it's a problem that is just a problem of marketing in general. Just like how in Terminator Two, the all, all the trailers and ads spoil the fact that Schwarzenegger is the good guy in this one. In this. It's the movie. They hide what the uh, sandworms look like until they finally burst through towards the end of the movie. But they're in all of the ads. They're like posters of the worms on subways. And it was like I, they kept hiding what it looked like. And I was like, I, I already know what it looks like. Just just show it to me. It's not going to be a big <laughs> surprise. But it's I guess if you go into it not knowing anything, that reveal is much more satisfying. I feel like what a lot of what people just know about Dune is the sandworms. I feel like they're the iconic thing. And it might have been that during the testing, because I'm sure this movie got tested extensively and the materials got tested, it might have just come up that people wanted to see the sandworms front and center. And that's not how the movie was planned, but how they eventually had to go with the marketing just because that's what tested the best. Um, yeah, it might not have been Denise vision for the poster or the trailer but you know it happens i don't know it, i never thought of that before i was still i was excited the whole movie to see the worm hmm. I, and i and i and i definitely had that oh yeah moment right at the <laughs> end when it finally comes up even though i'd seen the posters and stuff so i i, I don't know somehow i still bought into it even though it, it clearly didn't need to be but maybe again, that might just be me being passionate and over enthusiastic. Being a big Dune nerd, big old Dune nerd. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, if we're talking about stuff we want to see in the next one, like the final battle mm -hmm. in, in, at the yes. end of the book, like with breaking the shield wall and all the worms, like I can't wait to see that it, on the it screen. Was so cool! It was cool in my head. Hopefully, it's even cooler <laughs> on the screen. Hopefully. 
All right. Well, we should wrap. Uh, I did not realize how quickly that time had passed. I think we could keep on going to say a lot about Dune for a while. It was just that good. Uh, but I'm glad we had three different brains to help us with it because Graham and I definitely would have gotten swamped on our own. Stella, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, while you're here, we know you're working for Stormcrow Manor in downtown Toronto, which is great. Uh, is there anything like to, to pitch? Like, is there any like socials people should follow or any like anything coming up they should be aware of? Yeah, you can follow us pretty much everywhere at Stormcrow Manor. And uh, we do have a big New Year's Eve party that's coming up. And before then, we are going to have, you know, some holiday things. We have a holiday menu for lunch coming up. Um, $25 per person for a three-course meal, only at lunch, weekdays. Um, but it's pretty delicious. Rad. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. While we're giving out thanks, uh, it would be remiss not to add a little bit of extra thanks there for Oliver Wickham, the guy behind our theme song. He is great. He's got a ton of cool stuff up on Spotify uh, for you to listen to if you want to check him out there. And finally, wanted to say thanks to you, uh, the folks who listen, the folks who are part of the community, the folks who feedback. Um, it, it, I think we've got a great crew of people here. And uh, like because of you, we get to hang around and talk about Dune for an hour, and it's not considered a waste of anybody's time. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If there is more to say about Dune, if there's things that we missed, uh, or if you're just curious and want to ask questions, we've got a wide range of experience on here. So your questions, comments, concerns, all of them would be welcome. Uh, Graham, what's all the contact info for that? Please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. You can also go to our website, geektop5.com, and leave comments on every episode. They've got their own page. And please also feel free to go to your podcatcher of choice and rate and review us. Those ratings and reviews, by the way, super helpful to us. Let us know where and how the show is being listened to, uh, what you're into, what's the best way to get it to you. So uh, it takes a little bit of time out of your day to send those in uh, and make a big difference for us and help you out too in the future. Um, Dune, Denis Villeneuve's Dune, it's phenomenal and it's going back to IMAX on December 3rd. I think it's still available also on HBO Max. Um, if you're curious about more, I mean, the book can be found everywhere. Um, the sci-fi channel miniseries Frank Herbert's Dune and Children of Dune are readily available. And if you're a masochist, you can watch David Lynch's Dune 1984. Uh, whatever your poison, uh, that's plenty enough to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again next week.